Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. It is The Big Show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for making us a part of your Tuesday. Gordon, let's continue to talk a little football. Let's get out of the Sprint special guest line. Want to remind you, you can lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. He does play-by-play work for the Pac-12 Network, also for the L.A. Rams. He is J.B. Long with us on the big show. Hi, J.B. How are you today? We lose J.B. We'll get J.B. back. We will. Within seconds is my prediction. Well, that's what Austin does, you know. I mean, right now, I'm, I'm saying, I'm, I'm <laughs> really Austin unplugged the phone. The phone, the, the phone came unplugged. <laughs> wow, that's a new one. Poor so JB. We hung up on JB. We hung up on JB. That's not good. That's not a good way to get things started. Hmm. Well, it may be more than a few seconds. So. Got to get it re-plugged in. It's <laughs> <laughs> never happened before. Come on. No, that uh, usually. Did you pull the phone over and it just went click? Mm. Well, Austin's uh, getting JB back on the horn. <laughs> JB uh, goes, well, that was rude. And, of course, we want to talk to JB about the Utes. But I also want to give it, get his perspective on what happened around the rest of the Pac-12 in week one and his thoughts. I still think people saying, nah, the Pac-12 is sunk thanks to Oregon losing to Auburn. I still think that's an overreaction. That's a bit premature. But the Utes are, are a major torchbearer now. Along with the Hus- with the Huskies, yeah, and Washington State. I would include the Cougars I in that I didn't too. Want to uh, get them mixed up? No, you you don't want to do that. No. All right, uh, JB is ready. JB Long with us on ninety seven five and twelve eighty the zone. JB, sorry about that. That the the phone came unplugged, and that's something that's literally never happened to us. We before. hang up on all our guests, JB. Hey, first time for everything. Hi, Jake. Hi, Gordon. Thanks for having me by. Absolutely. Our pleasure, JB. And we were just saying we want to get your thoughts on the Utes, and we'll get that right off. But we have tons to get to with you, both from the college and pro ranks. But Utah gets a win over their rival BYU in week one. What were some of your impressions? Super impressive. I mean, it looked like they were dialed in. And I think any win would have been a good win, given what their ambitions are. Um, But certainly the way they dominated that second half, I just like their identity, and at times in recent years covering the Utes, uh, especially when there have been some down moments, it seems like the difficulty has been not having that downhill running game, uh, smash-mouth first type identity, and it's it's there. It's there in a big way to complement everything else they have going on, uh, especially on defense. If the question marks are offensive line and linebackers, it seems like they pass their first test with flying colors. Uh, but mostly just avoiding the, the self-inflicted wounds that plague so many teams around college football in week one. Uh, I like no turnovers, uh, very few turnover-worthy throws or plays, kept the penalties down, uh, didn't allow the quarterback to be sacked. I mean, those are all just great places to start any campaign, especially in college football. What are your thoughts on Zach Moss? You were talking about the running game there. This guy is really good. He's awesome. And I'm happy with the decision that he made, and I hope it pays off in spades uh, for, you know, rewarding himself, rewarding his youths, um, finishing atop the record book. He's going to be a problem for any defense to bring down. He always has been. And he, you know, came back from that knee injury and looked like the Zach Moss of old. Uh, Perhaps no more encouraging sign for the team than that. 
but just as kind of an addendum to that, how good do you have to be for Jordan Wilmore to have cracked this running back rotation yeah. and to basically get you know second string reps behind behind that senior talent? That's pretty impressive too, and I can't wait to see what his future has in store. JB, um, anytime a, a, a college football program loses a, a starting quarterback, it, it's going to have an impact. I mean, it, there's there's no doubt about it. But USC was in some dire straits coming into the year. Is that worst case scenario for them to lose JT Daniels game one? 100%. And it all plays into this week and this season. I mean, it all reflects back on the youths. And if they had the clearest path to a playoff out of the Pac-12, all the more so now. Uh, I'm not saying it's not still a huge game in a couple of weeks. Certainly it is. Every league game will be. But I imagine uh, your audience, certainly my mind, is starting to think, man, maybe that Washington game or the Washington State game might be their toughest. Maybe you know the South is the least of their concerns in terms of their uh, grandest ambition, which is going to the Rose Bowl and eventually uh, maybe playing for a national championship. Uh, yeah, the, you know, living here in Los Angeles, uh, I saw that firsthand, and I've read you know all the reaction, heard all the reaction. It's a tough time right now in Troy, which is not to say they can't still have a great season, but uh, needing an interception at the end in, in the end zone to seal a win over Fresno State is not how they saw this starting. Does SC have a, a, a quarterback who can step in and, and, and lead that program and save Clay Helton's job, or is, are, are, they, are they really going to be hurting from that perspective? Well, with the freshman Slovis, that they're going to start, I mean, if there's any silver lining, it's that Stanford might be in a similar position depending on KJ Costello's status for this weekend. So uh, if they can just find a way um, until they do settle in at quarterback, perhaps perhaps they can still make some headway in the Pac-12 South, but it, it hurts their chances. There's no way around that. I, again, the only way I can probably spend that positive is does it make them more of a complementary football run first, uh, lean on their talent at uh, the skill positions in a more even way? I mean, I, I'm really stretching for uh, for a way to pitch USC as championship worthy in their current state. Do you see JB any team that can step up to truly uh, uh, compete with the Utes? You mentioned you were talking about this earlier, but is there a surprise team that could rise up? Well, I think I would need to see more from the South. I mean, if we're just talking about their division pass first, uh, you know, ASU got a nice win, but they're playing with a freshman quarterback. Uh, Arizona took a tough loss at Hawaii and turned it over a half a dozen times. Um, Colorado is, is imperfect, but they've got some nice pieces, and I think on any given weekend could put a surprise into someone. I just haven't seen that matchup firsthand last year between the Buffs and the Utes. It's tough for me to see that one going against Utah. So I gravitate more to the north, and even though Oregon lost against Auburn from you know lose from in front style, I still think they have the potential um, to give Utah some problems. You know, Washington, strangely, you could make the case that they somehow got better at quarterback, uh, given all that they've accomplished the last few years under Chris Peterson. And Washington State, my goodness, they don't seem like they're going to miss a beat at all. And if you know that quarterback competition went down to the wire, and they chose Anthony Gordon and. Gordon sure um, rewarded Mike Leach's confidence with a 29 of 35 uh, five-touchdown performance. So I think there are a lot more challengers in the north, uh, which is not to say that a nine-game schedule uh, that goes through the south is going to be any walk in the park either. 
JB uh, Long with us from the Pac-12 Network on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. JB, I was down at Pac-12 Media Day, and the first thing Mike Leach said when they uh, when they when he sat down or sat down with us was something along the lines of, "Well, I see they picked us to stink again. Why does yeah. why why do we not have faith in the Cougars and Mike <laughs> Leach? Why why do we always seem to overlook them?" Well, two things pop into my mind. First of all, the, the kind of revolving door they've had at quarterback um, since, like, Luke Falk, right? And and if you're going to change quarterback every year, I think people will naturally overlook you, even though Mike Leach now has a more than proven track record of being able to plug and play at that position. And then secondly, I would say it's, it's the rivalry against Washington. Like, it's hard to pick Washington State to contend and to win it all when they haven't steadily been able to prove that they can beat the team that they're going to finish with every year. And I know con- conditions were adverse uh, in, in Pullman and in years past, and there's all sorts of uh, ways to explain that away. But, you know, could you could you pick USC to, to win the conference year after year if they were having, you know, if they were in a rut against UCLA? Or could you pick Arizona State if they just couldn't get over the hump against Arizona? I think that's probably uh, what comes to mind first when Washington State gets overlooked every every year. With the reputation that the Pac-12 has nationally, what's it going to take for a team, say a conference champion, to find its way into the playoff consideration? Yeah, I mean, as you guys are keenly aware, there are a few things um, that did not go the league's way. Uh, The Arizona loss at Hawaii hurts, uh, most notably the the Oregon inability to hold on to that multi-score lead against Auburn in the marquee game of the week. Um, you know, but, but there were some other things that I think were very positive. Stanford defeating a division champion in Northwestern out of the Big Ten. Uh, we've already touched on Washington and Washington State. Um, you know, Cal, I think, is going to continue to give a lot of league opponents and non-conference opponents problems because of how stout their defense is. Uh, but to me, it's, it's Utah carrying the banner right now. I mean, they're, they're the ones to watch. I think all eyes across the Pac-12 and even across the country should rightly be in Salt Lake City. Uh, I think their talent is there. I think their coaching staff is proven, uh, their ability to win games in the postseason. And, and the schedule lines up, let's face it. I mean, there's a reason why people looked at them and said, hey, this, this might be a team that can win them all this year. And I believe that, and what we saw last week in Provo certainly validates that. So, I, you know, even though on the whole, was it, a, uh, was it an A or a B opening week for the Pac-12? Probably not. But for certain teams within it that I think have championship chops like Washington and Utah, there's nothing to regret there that I've seen. JB, it uh, as I hear some of the national commentary about the Oregon Auburn game, it bugs me a little bit. People uh, freaking out or putting too much emphasis on that, or or even going back to Auburn Washington last year, because if if a team gets through the Pac-12 and they have one or no losses, they're getting into the playoff. I mean, regardless of this perception issue, and maybe it's one of those freak years where there's three undefeated teams from other conferences or special circumstances right. that never happen, I think people are putting too much emphasis on that. If, if teams just handle their business, they're going to get in. I'm with you there by and large. And like you said, there are extenuating circumstances if you get undefeated or if Notre Dame shows up uh, at the end. But no, I think that's part of why these next couple of weekends um, that you would like to put in the bank for Utah are really important. And I'm not usually a style points guy, and I know Kyle Whittingham isn't either. But these next weeks, you would be well served, I think, to put the game away in the first half, or at least by the end of the third quarter. Because I, I think you are going to get some eyeballs evaluating whether or not Utah, um, with you know, a kind of a middle-of-the-road non-conference schedule, 
would be able to withstand an in-conference loss. I mean, would a one-loss Pac-12 champion Utah be playoff and Rose Bowl worthy? For me, absolutely. Um, but I think these next couple of weeks, while not the most important to-do list items, certainly factor into that. You don't want to be winning like 17-14 against Northern Illinois. JB, the most basic of questions here for you. How do upsets happen? I mean, you mentioned Arizona and Hawaii. We mm-hmm. saw Tennessee lose to Georgia State. BYU goes back to Tennessee this next week. How do those kinds of things happen? Obviously, the talent is way on the other side. What goes on? Boy, it's almost like you pointed out that an SEC team lost to lesser competition in week one. I hadn't heard that narrative. It seems it only happens west of the Mississippi, right? Um, but, but you're right. The SEC had losses. Tennessee, Missouri, Old Miss, they all dropped games they should have won and were heavily favored. Arkansas barely survived Portland State. So, you know, that, that plays into it holistically as well. How do upsets happen? Um, I mean, e- each case is its own instance. But on the whole, I think a combination of things. Teenagers playing, uh, no preseason, uh, travel, school, all the peripheral things. I mean, these are not individuals who are dialed into football and football only. Um, and, and it's an imperfect game. I mean, when you're, when you're playing, you know, 80, 90 individuals, it's far from an active 46-man professional roster when you have a month of training camp and four preseason games and joint practices and all those sorts of things. It's, uh, it's chaotic. It's absolutely chaotic, and that's what those of us who have followed this sport uh, for so long absolutely love about it, even on weeks where you're licking your wounds a little bit and you wish that you, you had been able to get a different result in a non-conference matchup. You know, this seems to happen, JB, a lot in the Pac-12, and I'm not saying that's as lopsided as, as Tennessee-Georgia State, but we've, had, uh, we've been thinking a lot about this because the Utes are very talented this year, but people talk about how teams in the Pac-12 stub their toe along the way and they lose to teams mm-hmm. they shouldn't lose to. And so this is a topic that's on everybody's mind around here. No, I'm sensitive to that too. And I think part of it is everyone stubs their toe. I mean, like you said, if you're undefeated, you're going. But like, how do teams from other conferences that do stub their toe get the benefit of the doubt? And, you know, I think part of it is is the East Coast bias that we talk about. Part of it is, I think, you know, nationally, maybe teams don't give the Fresnos and the BYUs, um, even the Eastern Washingtons of the world, the credit that they deserve. I mean, in my my other job, I work for the Los Angeles Rams, and it feels like darn near half of our roster right now is from Eastern Washington. (laughs) It's an FCS program, (laughs) you know? So uh, I just don't think nationally – um, folks give the Hawaii's of the world the recognition that they are willing to give, I don't know, a Georgia State or a Memphis or someone they're more familiar with. Wanted to ask you a little bit about the Rams, JB, and I, I wanted to ask you this. Sean McVay, uh, well, the, let me put it this way. The NFL obviously is is a league where people follow the trends, right? You see other franchises trying mm-hmm. to copy what works. In fact, it, it made me laugh when Arizona hired Cliff Cliff Kingsbury in the press release. He said, oh, friends <laughs> with Sean McVay. <laughs> the next Sean McVay. The, right, yeah. You know, they, they found that notable that they were buddies, which which made me laugh. But my question to you is, somebody who's so familiar with what's going on there, what where does his man magic come from what is he doing that is so good and so different right yeah you guys would be surprised how many uh, head coaching gigs i was offered this off season just because <laughs> i host the sean McVay show uh you know it, it didn't work from a family standpoint but maybe next year <laughs> uh, you know i i readily provide this answer um which is sean McVay 
is a genius. And, and what he does, he is next level X's and O's. He operates at a super high level. His work rate is extreme. And even though he was humbled by Bill Belichick uh, in the most recent game, the Super Bowl, I think he's special. And I'd be surprised if he's not a force in this league for many years to come and eventually a Hall of Fame coach. But that's not what makes him special, to answer your question. I think he has interpersonal skills, leadership ability that transcends football and transcends sports. I genuinely believe if you put him in sports talk radio or politics or law or made him a librarian or whatever it is that you challenged him to do, he's one of those people, you know, Steve Kerr is another one that comes to mind, that people just tend to follow and put their trust in. And he has a unique ability, I think, to relate to players who range from 37 years old and, and one walk of life to 21 years old in a completely different walk of life and get them to understand that his only interest is their best interest. And that's hard to do. I mean, I, I don't, I don't have that ability. Um, I, you know, and so I, I think that more than anything is why he was able to win the interview. He was trusted to be the youngest modern coach in NFL history and has won, you know, 26 games in two years. And, J.B., even though he has that charisma and he's got those people skills that he has and he can communicate, he's humble, too. I mean, you mentioned the Super Bowl. After that, it seems like he was acquiescing to Bill Belichick and asking questions and learning from the experience and and unafraid to uh, admit as much. That's that's exactly it. There's a there's a humility and there's an accountability and it's it's not phony. It's not. It's not a false humility. And this is someone whose grandfather, you know, helped orchestrate the gold rush era in San Francisco and put them on the path to win all those Super Bowls. And I think he's kind of learned, um, if not at at the heel of the Bill of Bill Walsh, certainly by his books and his writing and his philosophy. And, you know, Sean McVeigh's talent as a player ran out uh, a little bit earlier in his career than he would have wanted to, but I think it set him on this path where, uh, to the extent that you can use the expression, he was born to be a football coach, a, a head football coach in the National Football League, and reads books and studies and asks the right questions of the right people to put himself in a position to maximize his very first opportunity, which so few are able to do. And I, I agree with you that anybody who is capable of doing that could probably be a leader in any walk of life. Yeah. No, I, I think that's true. Hopefully he doesn't choose broadcasting, because otherwise I'm out of the gig. <laughs> well, JB, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show and giving us a little insight. We really appreciate it, man. Keep up the good work. No, it's my pleasure. I am thoroughly looking forward to being in Salt Lake City the next couple of weekends. And like I said, uh, Utah would be well served to win them handily. I think it will go a long way for them and for the Pac-12. Thanks, JB. Adios. JB Long. Does play-by-play for the Pac-12 Network, but also uh, for the L.A. Rams. Kind of fun to get a little Sean McVay insight because, boy, he is he is a great coach. A little worried about his own job because he thinks if Sean gets tired of the, the coaching grind that he might just slip on over into the other chair. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do a little play-by-play for a minute. <laughs> I'm better than you at what you do for a living, and I've never done it before. You know, I think uh, different sport, different people, all those sorts of things. But uh, I, I thought of Quinn Snyder a little bit when he was describing Sean McVay, talking about how yeah. he could be good at anything. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Coach Snyder got a lot of grief from Duke for crying out loud. I mean, just a, a, a really bright, smart individual. And when they focus their energies to whatever, there's probably a pretty good likelihood that they're going to succeed. And I, I kind of thought about Coach Snyder as he was answering that. I, I think there are commonalities between successful coaches. And they're not all exactly the same. But I remember 
remember one time writing a big, a long piece on what makes great coaches great. And it was really an interesting study uh, because even though you have different types of coaches with different kinds of personalities, some coaches, for instance, are 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 dictators and other coaches are are delegators, you know, but they have certain things in common. And and he mentioned a number of them with Sean McVay, ability to communicate, ability to motivate, ability to obviously understand what uh, what you want to get accomplished on the field, on the court, on the diamond, whatever. And uh, but but personality wise, they can they can range in all kinds of ways. So it's 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 fascinating leadership in general and i think there's a if it works in the nfl then it probably would work in the army or in business you know, or in uh, in any walk of life so anyway just my thought want to remind you, don't take the bus tour at the airport parking lot. Diamond Airport Parking offers covered self-parking, covered valet parking, open valet parking, and free 24-7 car-to-curb shuttle service. Diamond Airport Parking since 1922, just off I-80 and Redwood Road. Park, ride, and save at Diamond Airport Parking. Big thanks to J.B. Long for joining us. We'll have more coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is DJ and PK. The drama at the FIBA World Cup. The U.S. looks like they're going to escape. As DJ said, that was a knuckle-biter. It was. (laughs) He said that in the break. A little higher up on the digits. Nope. They wore away the fingers Uh, and the nails in regulation. It was knuckles and overtime. A knuckle-biter. It was a knuckle-biter. Oh, man. Now that they won, that's a toe licker. DJ and PK mornings from 6 till 10. Presented by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. I think independence in football specifically has somewhat hurt the program. I think it's hurt it from a recruiting standpoint. I think it's hurt it from an attendance standpoint. I think that, uh, you know, I had one BYU assistant coach years ago who told me, he said, the toughest thing that I recruit against is Stanford. If Stanford offers an LDS kid a scholarship, I have a hard time going into that home and saying, young man, you should come to BYU. Because if it were my son, I would love my son to go to Stanford. And and now I think Utah, you know, with their Pac-12 uh, relationship, and the fact that you have someone, for me, the kind of the canary in the coal mine was Britton Covey. When Britton Covey decided to go to Utah, this is a kid who was born and bred to go to BYU. And when he went to Utah, I was really worried because I said, this is going to open the spigot. And you're going to start to see other LDS kids who follow this kid and say, hey, this kid, you know, he's, he's going on a mission. He, he's a kid who was who was basically signed, sealed, delivered to BYU if he wanted to go. But now he's at Utah. And that's always been to me kind of like I always worried about that because with his success at Utah, other Mormon kids are saying, hey, you know what, I can do that too. And it just makes it harder for BYU to recruit, especially when they're playing 
you know, you got kids who are who are not going to be able to be all conference because there isn't a conference. Kids who aren't playing for a conference championship because there isn't one. I think those are some of the challenges that BYU is facing right now. Well, Val Hale, Val Hale, uh, former athletic director at BYU, was on with DJ and PK this morning. They've got that up at 1280thezone.com in podcast form if you want to hear the whole thing. It is the big show on a total request Tuesday. This one goes out to Caleb, who is a Ute fan and is uh, hooked on a feeling. Uh, Val covered a lot in in just that one quote uh, alone, Gordon, and he was pro BYU getting into a conference. And I want to get uh, I want to get your thoughts. But real quick, to be fair to BYU, Bronco was the one who passed on Britton Covey. Britton Covey wasn't necessary. He wasn't sure choosing that? between Utah Are and BYU. Sure about that? Pretty sure about I that. I thought I heard some other stuff was going on too. Well, maybe, maybe I'm incorrect. But what uh, I heard, I looked it up this morning. Uh-huh. Uh, there is a quote from Bronco uh, a couple years ago in an article that talked about the recruitment of Britton Covey and how Utah really was on board with Britton Covey from day one, and BYU was like, "Well, we can find you a spot if you're interested." And then he was like, "Well, Utah wants me regardless." So. They right. didn't find him a spot because Kerry uh, was it, it was Kerry Whittingham who was the coach Britain's coach in high school, right? I I, I, rem- I seem to remember people talking about how he called Kyle and basically said, "No, seriously, this guy's the real deal. You don't want to pass on this well, guy." And BYU should have been playing to anybody who saw that kid play in high school. He was fantastic. Well, anyway, but but that's beside the point. What do you think about what uh, what Val Val had to say yeah, this morning? I, I agree with what he said. A lot of it. And there's a whole lot more where that came from. There's all kinds of things that BYU has done that uh, need to be altered in order for them to to fulfill the, uh, you know, the aspirations that they have. And you know, it's interesting to hear Val talk about conference affiliation because Lavelle was really big on that as well. He was. He, that was always his number one goal. Didn't matter what conference the Cougars were playing in. Didn't matter what other national attention was coming their way. Number one goal: win the conference. And that's one of the reasons that uh, you hear Kyle Whittingham talk the way he does about the Pac-12. Obviously, that's a bigger fish to fry, and, and it's a bigger goal. And there's a national component to it. Uh, but he talks about winning a championship, and that's what championship can the Cougars win? The national championship? Uh, let me repeat the question. What championship can the Cougars win? The Hawaii Bowl championship? No, I missed the conference race for BYU. And I, I've been saying this for a long time now. I have had some correspondence from people asking, all right, if you're a proponent of BYU getting into a conference, how does joining a conference help BYU uh, as far as its, its goals go? How does joining, say, the Mountain West Conference? Obviously, a P5 conference would help the Cougars recruit better. They'd find better athletes. They'd, they'd be in bigger markets as far as by big, I mean reputation-wise. And uh, But how does being in the Mountain West help BYU's football program? And I think Val answered some of that. And it, it goes beyond that, though. It would also maybe be a quicker way for them to get into a New Year's Six Bowl. I, the word that st- stood out to me on what you were just saying right there, Gordon, is goal. Help BYU accomplish their goal. What is their goal? It's out there somewhere. Well, what's priority number one for BYU football? What is what Exposure. is? Pri- uh, you think it would be less so in the Mountain West Conference? 
could be, could be less so during the season. Because BYU, obviously, like look at this year, Utah in week one, Tennessee in week two, USC in week three, Washington in week four. So exposure, what does that accomplish? Uh, Well, BYU wants to have a high profile so that people will ask questions about the school and about the the religion, the church that owns the school. So beating Wisconsin last year, what did that do for them? It got them notice. They were on national TV. Mm-hmm. They People noticed that BYU pulled off a big upset. Uh, that's what they talked about when they went independent, that they wanted exposure. And, Who they, gets- and they wanted to move around the country and play in front of their fans that are uh, located in other places with those ESPN cameras on them. Now, I, I honestly don't know the answer to this question, but I, I'm just going to throw it out. So it's not a loaded question anyway. I don't know. Who gets more exposure nationally, Boise State or BYU? Well, Boise State's better than BYU. And so they, they are going to get more. If BYU were in the Mountain West, would they get – here's the problem, that everything BYU has done has been compromised by the fact that their teams haven't been that good. So independence isn't really accomplishing priority number one, which is exposure. Well, either that or one thing Val got into that we didn't hear in that cut was that BYU doesn't pay its coaches what other universities pay their coaches, that they don't uh, spend the money. Well, he did say that. He said spend like a G5 but play a P5 schedule. Was that in that quote yeah. there? Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't, wasn't sure. Uh, but anyway, he, you know, you've got to – uh, you've got to invest in a program in order to get the people in place. You've got to make it a priority. And I'm not sure that football is really a priority at BYU. It is to a certain level, but not to the level that the fan base is led to believe it can be. I don't disagree and with that. that's gone on since they went independent, and maybe it had gone on longer than that. But you know, think about what Bronco Mendenhall used to talk about. He used to talk about winning national championships. They can't do it. They can't do it with the money they spend on the program. They can't do it with the leadership that they have down there. Or maybe they could if the if the uh, if the uh, you know rain was taken out of their mouth and they could really run. But uh, I think with the budgetary concerns that they have, uh, it's difficult for them. If you don't if you don't spend the money, if you don't put the right people in place to make it happen. Uh, then you're going to have a hard time getting it done, and I, you know, that that that's pretty simple for anybody who wants to look at it. And in the past, when Lavelle was coach, and they won the national championship, and they had those great assistant coaches, coaches like Ted Tolner and uh, and uh, Mike Holmgren and Norm Chow, and and before that they had uh, uh, his name, Doug Scoville, you know. I mean, these are great, great football minds who are doing things that BYU can't get away with these days or it can't pull it off. There have been a lot of people that have wondered, how come Mike Leach can do what Lavelle did and make it work, but BYU can't? I don't know. If they... Well, Mike Leach isn't coaching at BYU, but but let me ask but you. But that's this. a part of the problem. You don't have you don't have some of the innovators involved in the program that you once did, and you and you're not going to get them because you don't pay them. Okay, but let me let me ask you this: if 
and I hate to circle back to this, but this is just sticking out of my mind. If Boise State is getting more exposure than BYU, and Boise State is in the Mountain West Conference, and the whole reason BYU is independent is to is for exposure, well, then let's examine how Boise State gets more exposure and is quote-unquote better than BYU. Boise State plays one game a year, and then they play in an inferior conference, mm-hmm. almost guaranteeing that they're going to get 10 wins a year. Yeah. Why can't BYU do that? You could talk about hearkening back to the the days of these wonderful coaches and all, and I'm not discounting that because you can't discount what they did. But why couldn't BYU do that? And would that be better than what they're doing now? In my opinion, absolutely yes. And how do you get more exposure? You win. And who cares? Boise State has been making a living four years, and nobody looks at their schedule. They just go, Boise State is really good. Hot dog. You see that 11-win team? Nobody remember when they were in the whack, and their only game every year was against Nevada, and there were, everybody else was just hot garbage, and everybody's yeah, but, going, oh, but they're going to but, a Rose Bowl. But Boise State built its program with uh, maybe some athletes that were under the radar, but they were really good. And you know, ask Utah about their experience playing Boise State back in the day. Fine, but Boise, I mean, Boise State, State just slapped the Utes around. But they like made a living business. on beating up on the little sisters of the poor. They did, and they, but they're they, better but, than those teams, but, and nobody looks at them and goes, had, but they didn't play five P5 teams. But they have better athletes than BYU Do does. they? Yes. Or they do, do they on yes, occasionally? They no, they have for quite some time. Well, now. if BYU were winning 10 games a year, why couldn't they get those athletes then? Well, there are other issues that come into play as well. The academic standard. So uh, we're back the, to the can't win, code. don't try. No, I'm just saying that those are hurdles that are kind of in BYU's way. Mm-hmm. Boise State doesn't have that pro- those problems. Well, I'm just saying if, if goal number one is exposure, which I, I'm not even convinced that that's necessarily the case, well, that's not or that's, a, that's even not, a real that's thing. That's not but, much of a competitive goal. I mean, right? But I if mean, they want that, more I mean, exposure, they got to win. That, that's right, exactly. That's the irony to the whole thing. So go you back got, to a conference. You got ESPN televising you while you're you're not good. So you're getting the exposure, but it's not the kind of exposure you want. No reason in my mind that BYU can't do what Boise State does in the Mountain West Conference. Well, I have to rearrange some things in order for that to happen. Maybe. Do you think BYU is as good as Boise State as far as the overall program goes? This particular year, maybe no, not. No, I'm talking about over the past 15 years. Uh, at times they have been, sure. Uh, yeah, but not very often. Back when they were still in the Mountain West Conference, they were. Those yeah. run of 10-win years with Bronco and Max Hall and Dennis uh, Pitta and Austin Collie, come on. I still don't think, I don't think you're right. I think Boise State has been better than BYU on the whole for a long time. Now, if I'm wrong on that, somebody prove it to me. All right, we'll have Not Sports Sport coming up next. Bowlers in the house, top of the 5 o'clock hour. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is Tony Parks and Austin Horton. If you have a campfire, put it out. A campfire is not fully properly out until you can put your hand down in the coals. Mm-hmm. Please be more responsible. Will you go tailgating? They'll actually have the bins for coal. I accidentally one time at a San Francisco Giants game would put the coals and I put them in that bin. Had styrofoam over my shoulder in a conversation, threw them in there. Into the hot bin? You're no. the problem. Now everything turned out okay. Yeah, now burn down San Francisco all no, you want. No, but no. leave my mountains alone. Black smoke is just billowing. I was like, that, that was my bad. You napalmed the San Francisco Giants <laughs> tailgate. Lot C. 
Tony Parks and Austin Horton, weekdays from 10 to noon on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Check this out. And now, your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Stop me, cause I'm having a good time, having a good time. I'm a shooting star leaping through the sky like a tiger defying the laws of gravity. I'm a racing car. Total Request Tuesday. This goes out to Ute fan Cody. It's time for the Not Sports Report, brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory. Shop online at lhmusedcars.com. Gorda, where are we going today? We're going over to the uh, to the United Kingdom. Ah, the today. UK. Newsworthy day over there today. Yes, but this has nothing to do with that. Apparently, this is kind of disturbing, actually. Oh, good. If you have kids... And they're kind of picky about what they eat, mm-hmm. and they eat uh, mostly junk food. Then listen to this from USA Today. Let's see. Another reason to eat your vegetables. All right. A British teen who doctors described as a quote fussy eater was partially blinded because of his diet which consisted of nothing but fries, chips, and the occasional slice of ham and slice of white bread. You know, I heard this story earlier today. Did you? Yeah. Did someone who ripped off our our Not Sports Report do this? Uh Uh-huh. See, this is the problem. How much cheese did this uh, British team When people rip you off, and, you know, what are you going to (laughs) do? He lost his hearing, too, no? I didn't see that he lost his hearing, but I did see that he was suffering from tiredness. And I'm not addicted to cheese, but I like it a whole he, lot. Uh, apparently, he didn't like. He doesn't. He has a texture issue. Does he now? Where the this is all he can stomach because of the texture. He just progressively lost his vision, and uh, and then met the criteria for uh, being blind. This is junk food. So. I, I, I guess, you know, you threw me off with that. Sorry. You really did. Well, I just, I, you know. No, I'm glad. I'd rather know. I listen to our station. I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather know this. that people who rip off our segments are using uh, my material. What am I supposed to do with that? It's all right. Anyway, so if you're in the habit of eating crappy food, maybe you should stop and reconsider. Now, I like crappy food as much as the next guy. I do. I like myself a big old bag of Lay's potato chips, all right? I do. I do. I like, but what else do I like? I like to dip some graham crackers in some milk. I like, uh, I like pizza. I like burgers. I like cheeseburgers. I like fries. I had myself a big old batch of fries last night. I had, I, I, I like, uh, I like, uh, sometimes I like candy. Like a little uh, baked goods. Oh, chocolate chip cookies when they're done right. I like those too. But you got to mix in, mix in some vegetables. You got to mix in some, uh, you know, healthy fruit every once in a while. How about a salad? Get a salad in there. Maybe eat some, you know, healthy meat. All right. Can I, can I throw in a not sports story? Oh, you want one that hasn't been done already today? I think a little bit. And it's local. What you got? 
A woman in Davis County was arrested on Saturday of charges of drug possession, driving with a revoked license, and offering a false personal info to a police officer. Now, here's the kicker to this, Gordon. Mm-hmm. The, 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 We're off to a bad start. We really are on this so far. What you got? The fa- Now, this is, this is parent of the year right here. The false personal info that this lady provided was that of her daughter. Huh. So she tried to get, she was getting arrested and she thought, well, I don't want this on my record. So I'll stick it on my daughter's record. So I'll stick it on my daughter's record. Why would you do that? Did she have prior offenses? Uh, Let's see. Uh, She had outstanding warrants, so that's probably it. Not a good idea, though. Next time you get a speeding ticket, which is often, will you throw out one of (laughs) I haven't had a speeding ticket in quite some time. Okay. Well, next time you get one, will you throw out one of your daughters and see if that works? No. (laughs) Because I don't think I could pass for one of my daughters. Well, this woman, but that's not the reason I wouldn't do it. Well, this woman was 38, and I, I guess her daughter's like 21 or something like that. Is she? Does she look young? Uh, not particularly. Do they no. look a lot alike? I have no idea. Do you look like your brother? Uh, no, not really. Uh, for those of you who are who have a brother or a sibling, you're not necessarily. Tw- well, you could include twins, but what would that be like? To look just like one of your siblings, or very close, so that people would think, uh, okay, you might be the same person. Well, I, d- I have some friends who are identical twins. Yeah. My wife's sisters are identical twins. Really? Is that freak them out a little bit? Uh, no. I don't to have think- another human being on the planet that looks just like you? I don't think it freaks them out. Or what are you going to do? Do they do? Do they do all the tricks that twins do? You know, like one of them is good at math and one of them's good at English, and so the one who's good at math takes the math test, and the one who's good at English takes the English test. Now they tried it once in high school, and I'm trying to remember the full story because it was one of those uh, obvious moments where, like, one of the sisters wrote down their wrong name or something like that, where they switched. You know, go take this English class, and they did they something that was uh, obvious or something like that. Yeah, I can't remember what it was. I just think that would be, you know, occasionally we make fun of each other because we we say that we look like some celebrity or something. Like, uh, Austin, you posted that whole thing on that, and that got a pretty good reaction. Which one of those got the, the best reaction? Oh, PK. PK and Walter Matthau? Yeah, young, a young Walter Matthau, yeah. To be fair, a young Walter Matthau. <laughs> but it was uncanny. He could be Walter's kid. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. What I mean? What if you look just? And you probably do. We probably all do. There's probably someone walking around. I don't know. Like our and, boy uh, Ryan Hatch, who looked just like Mark Hacking. Oh yeah, remember that? Was that? A little unfortunate. Yeah, yeah but that, I mean, you know. Whoa, he did. Oh, yeah, he just did. like him. Uh, a lot. No, maybe not just, but. You looked at the, they had some surveillance photo of him dumping a mattress or something like that. Part of that case, and you looked at it and you went, "Wow, that's Hatch." See, I, I honestly, I worry about that kind of thing. You know, you could also have the same problem with your name. If some, what do you do if if there's a if there's a a, a, a criminal out there, a serial killer who's named Austin Horton? Well, I'm changing my name first of all. Uh, the Ravens play-by-play yeah. guy dealt with this. Yeah, Jerry Sandusky. Yeah. Well, what what would you do if your name, say, somebody else was the MVP of the Super Bowl? I'd sue him. I want that trophy. Because that, you know, Jake Scott, MVP, Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but that was there was enough distance between the two of you that most people don't remember that Jake Scott. You know, people from your generation make that joke around me all the time. Like, when I tell them my name, they go, oh, you don't look like the MVP <laughs> of the Super Bowl. 
<laughs> yeah, but you, I mean, you don't get Thank that goodness. very often, do you? Uh, once in a while, more than you'd think, actually. Like how many times? Uh, probably maybe a dozen times over my life. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, not I confusing me for him, but right. making that joke. Well, that's yeah. the thing. Either if you look like somebody or you share a name, uh, oh, there's some complications that come with that. Bowler is here. He's coming up next. Stay tuned. It's the Big Show, 97.5. I mean, people, people think I'm Brad Pitt all the time. Okay. It gets to be annoying. Twelve eighty the zone. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. A lot of times people will ask me if you wouldn't have been a professional football player, if you wouldn't have been a radio analyst, what would you have been? I always tell them a paleontologist. I, We've done shows for a long time. You've never, ever mentioned that ever. I know. Paleontology? What? Maybe if you showed more I interest was, in the things I'm interested in. Was it just in? because of Laura Dern in Jurassic Park? Because you say that, then I'm like, okay, I got you. You know, Sam Neill was never right for her. Now, Dr. Hans. Dr. Hans. <laughs> Girl, nature always finds a way. I don't know how you guys take my dreams and just crumple them up like a piece of paper and throw it right back in my face. Oh, man. Catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to 3. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. All right, 